This is Anthony Adams on the We Detroit, We Deserve Better show, a program where I speak to you about topics of interest to me and hopefully of topics of interest to you. Today, we're going to discuss uh, a couple of things. One, there was the great grand announcement by Dan Gilbert that he was going to invest $500 million uh, in Detroit neighborhoods. And when I heard that announcement, I was like, wow, that sounds like a good thing. But you always got to look beneath the headlines to really dig deep into the facts uh, surrounding uh, his decision uh, to make this investment. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that. We're also going to talk about uh, really a related topic, and that is of tax captures. Tax captures of what occurs when the city undertakes a redevelopment project and they allow the developer to take a portion of the property taxes uh, from the city of Detroit. Now, this actually ties in with, with Dan Gilbert's announcement to a certain extent because his agreement to invest $500 million, from my perspective, uh, I don't know if it's a real announcement or not, but it's tied into the more than $2.1 billion uh, in tax breaks and tax captures that Dan Gilbert has gotten uh, over the course of the last four to five years. And so I will have a, a special guest today uh, who is Russ Ballant. He is the uh, chairman of the Detroit Public uh, Lighting, uh, I'm sorry, Detroit uh, Library Commission. And he's going to be speaking with me when he calls in about tax captures. So let me start then on the Dan Gilbert's announcement. So when I heard that Dan Gilbert was making a $500 million uh, investment in the city of Detroit, I had to do my research and figure out exactly how much in tax captures has Dan Gilbert actually gotten uh, over the course of his uh, developments within the city of Detroit. And so I found an article uh, in the um, Michigan Construction Digest which talked about the fact that Dan Gilbert had received $2.1 billion. Let me say that again. $2.1 billion in tax incentives and tax captures to build uh, the uh, new office tower that he's constructing in the city of Detroit. And what's interesting about the $2.1 billion tax capture that Dan Gilbert got is that this, he, uh, he was able to receive special legislative approval to make some subtle changes in the tax capture statute. Normally, the tax capture statute allows you to take property taxes. But what Dan Gilbert was able to do was take also a portion of the income tax from the city of Detroit in order to support his development in downtown. Part of the rationale behind the decision uh, by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, which is a state body that's, that's, that authorizes these types of tax captures, is that it gives them special permission to do things that they normally uh, would not be able to do. And so when you look at Dan Gilbert's receipt of $2.1 billion in tax benefits for just one project, I might add, uh, um, it's, it's an interesting scenario to say that you're investing more than $500 million in the city of Detroit when, you, when you've gotten almost $2.1 billion in tax incentives. And so when I also looked at that $500 million investment, it talked about what that money was going to go for. And so they talk a lot about paying off property taxes for Detroiters. 
Well, that sounds good until you begin to dig deep beneath the surface to understand the implications of what they're saying. So we've got now currently about 18 to 20,000 people on a tax payment plan currently with the Wayne County Treasurer uh, in the city of Detroit. These 18 to 20,000 people are in jeopardy of losing their homes if they default upon their payment plans. Uh, these payment plans, uh, based on my analysis, is probably about $800,000 to $900,000 uh, a year uh, to make their payments to keep themselves current. But the other side of the coin is that the city of Detroit, uh, through the Wayne County Tax Treasurer note sale, receives about $180 million in back taxes every year, which means that on a, on a yearly basis, the city of Detroit is about $180 million behind in actually collecting their property taxes from people who live in the city of Detroit. And so if you were going to eliminate uh, back taxes for people in the city of Detroit, the number would be far greater than the $15 million that they put on the table. That, that's enough to kind of cover the payments of people who are in, in payment plans, but it doesn't do anything to attack the underlying issue of what their actual tax debt is. I think the other side of the coin, when you look at the tax assessment uh, issue and the agreement to, quote, pay property taxes for the people in the city of Detroit, what you also uh, have to understand is that we still have an unequitable issue of assessing taxes in the city of Detroit. Empirical research and evidence has shown through a study that was commissioned, I think, by the University of Michigan, uh, Professor Bernadette Atahenny, uh, who found that property taxes for people at the lower end of the spectrum meaning people whose houses are less than $50,000 are actually paying a disproportionately high amount of, ta of property taxes as a result of, of how taxes are assessed in Detroit. Part of the rationale behind why there's so, such an inequity in the assessment is because of the fact that people at higher income levels understand the multitude of programs and appeals that they can take in order to support um, and reduce the level of their taxes. And so the people at the lower end of the spectrum, people who don't have access to lawyers or accountants or property appraisers, don't have the resources to, to permit them to appeal uh, with, a, with, a, with an informed understanding. And nor has there been, I think, uh, a lot of education on educating people about the types of things that people have in order to reduce their property tax assessment. And so we have people continuing to pay high property taxes, which keeps them in jeopardy of losing their homes, which puts them in a payment plan with the Wayne County Treasurer, which allows them to spend more of their disposable income on meeting basic needs and necessities, uh, and allows them not to really move forward uh, in a meaningful way in their life. And so this, this poverty cycle of high taxes, uh, high insurance rates, uh, high water rates, uh, high crime, uh, bad education is a continuous cycle that we have to begin to break in the city of Detroit if we're going to really move our city forward and allow people to prosper. So when we hear these great announcements, we have to understand the origins of how these things occur. The guy, Dan Gilbert, is getting more than $2.1 billion in special tax incentives and breaks in order to build a tower that he's going to house uh, his, his corporate headquarters uh, and some other businesses. So he's getting $2.1 billion. In return for that, what is the city losing? 
The city is losing $2.1 billion over, over a period of 15 years of tax revenue that they would collect by way of income taxes, by way of property taxes. And so from my perspective, there really is a net loss to the community because what he claims he's investing over a 10-year period doesn't come anywhere near near uh, to address the issues of, of what he had. So I've just been notified that I have uh, Russ Ballant, who is the uh, chairperson of the Detroit Library Commission, who's on the line, who's going to give us a little more in-depth conversation about the, the tax capture implication and how we're really penalizing ourselves and our educational institutions because we're allowing too much of our property taxes to be taken away. Do, do we have Russ on the line? Yes, yeah, I'm here. Okay, great, Russ. How are you today? I, I'm well. Thank, so, thank you for the invitation. Well, thank you for agreeing to, to come on my show. And so I set you up, Russ. I said you were the chairperson of the Detroit Library Commission. Uh, I've known Russ for a number of years. He is a fighter in our community. Uh, east Side resident leaves, lives off of, uh, I think it's East Outer Drive, kind of East Outer Drive area, Van Dyke area, kind of over in that way. That's uh, correct. And um, who's always been a fighter for the city of Detroit, uh, was appointed uh, to the Library Commission by the Detroit uh, Board of Education, the newly elected and empowered Detroit Board of Education. He had been a library commissioner and was removed by an emergency manager, uh, but now the board is, is restored to power. He's been reappointed to that position. And so now he's, he's leading the charge on informing people about the implications of tax captures as it relates to our Detroit public library system. So if you could, Russ, why don't you set the stage for the tax capture implication uh, on the Detroit public library? Gladly. Um, the, the, the Detroit uh, public library has been subject to tax capture for many, many years. And the, uh, the, the library has uh, put together some data for the public to know what's happening to the library. In the last 22 years, we've lost $38 million. Now, uh, keep in mind that the library annual budget is about uh, $30 million, $30, $31 million, $32 million. And so we're taking uh, sizable hits. Uh, Russ, 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 we, we kind of have a bad connection in the information you're talking about. If you're on your speakerphone, could you just okay. take that off and go uh, onto your regular uh, phone? Oh, okay. I, I, think we might, I think we might hear you a little better. Can you hear me better now? Yeah, much better now. So I, if you could, if you could restate. Okay, I hear an echo on my end. Just, that's that's fine. There's no echo on my end. <laughs> okay, then that's all that matters. All right. Okay. Uh, then... So the library in the early 2000s might have been tax captured half a million dollars a year, okay? But now, uh, it, say in 2015, uh, we were being captured $1.1 million. Mm -hmm. And every year, that money went up. Uh, in 20, well, in 2016, is it 1.1? 2017, it was $1.9 million. In uh, 2018, about two and a half million. Uh, 2019, 2.7, a little over 2.7. And in 2020, last year, 3.1 million. Now the city, and the city has let us know that we are going to be captured 3.4 million a year for the next five years. 
Now, so, uh, that's so, 12% of the millage revenue that the library gets. 89% of the revenue for the library comes from the millage that the voters approved in 2014. And so what, uh, is, what is the operating every 10 years? If, if you can and tell the city me. has decided that that money is there for them to capture as they see fit. So if there you is get, no consultation or advance notice, they take the money and they let us know after the fact that they've taken the money. So if you could tell me exactly uh, what is the size of the library's actual operating uh, budget? You know, had with several years with the city council. I know I brought it up to city council several times in the last couple of years. Everybody's tone deaf. They don't, there isn't a commitment to address this problem with the library. And what it's doing uh, is uh, property tax revenues are declining over the, the six, same six-year period I described. Mm-hmm. The bite is larger and larger. So it's now putting the library into a serious financial problem. We had to borrow almost $5 million from our fund balance, which is a really shrinking balance right now. Uh, this was our surplus. This was our rainy day fund. And just to keep the branches open and, um, and until uh, the COVID uh, came down. And then we reopened six branches. We used to have 21 branches open uh, in early 2020. When we reopened, we could op- re- only open six of them. And I think, we don't Russ, know when the situation is going to improve. Well, Russ, let me, uh, let so me, let me step point, in. Let me step in, that, Russ, because I think we've got being we've ignored got by the uh, city on our uh, raising of these issues. We're making sure the public knows what's going on because the same public that approved our millage by a rate by 75 percent yes vote mm-hmm. is the one that make decide who these city officials are going to be and th- these are the folks that need to uh, know what's going on so that we're not uh, silently complicit with the misdirection of the millage funds that they approve for the library it's th- now going into brownfield projects downtown Russ, let, let me let me do this. Um, you, you're putting some a lot of good information out. I've got to take a short uh, station break, and then I'm going to sure. come back and really begin to ask you some questions about operating budgets, the rainy day fund, uh, the decision of the city to take more than you know five percent that that was recommended uh, by the rate by the taxpayers of the city of Detroit. And so, if you give me a couple of minutes, we, I'll be right back. Uh, this is okay. Anthony Adams on the Weed. Detroit, we deserve better show, and I'm going to. We'll be right back to talk more in depth about tax captures and how they're impacting and creating really an educational apartheid system in the city of Detroit. This is Anthony Adams of the We Detroit, We Deserve Better show, a program where I speak to you about topics of interest to me as well as topics of interest to you. And part of what we're discussing today is the issue of tax captures and how they are impacting our ability to fund both our library system as well as our education, uh, Detroit Public Schools, a community district system. I have on the phone with me Russ Ballant, who is the uh, chairperson of the Detroit Library Commission. And last week, I think it was the Library Commission printed uh, an astounding study which talks about the extent to which tax captures money that is authorized by state law uh, to be set aside for library operations 
is being taken, and I'll use that term, that's my term, not, not their term, is being taken by the city of Detroit to fund any, anything other than library operations. And so at, at our station break, Russ was kind of walking us through the numbers of how this tax capture was impacting the library and its ability to operate. And so, Russ, if you could explain to me, what is the size of the library uh, commission's budget? What is the size of their operating budget? Well, uh, our operating budget now is about $28 million a year. Okay. So the, the library gets $28 million a year solely from tax revenue. Is that correct? Or is there, are they get, uh, I'm assuming they get some type of federal grants uh, and things of that nature, but I'm assuming that it's primarily tax revenue. Yeah, 89% of our budget uh, in this about $25 million is uh, property taxes. All right. And then does the library uh, also have a rainy day fund, meaning money that's set aside to pay uh, unanticipated expenses in the event that something occurs? And if it does, yes, what is the we, size of that keep, rainy day fund? We, we maintain a fund balance. And uh, th that, that money has been used as a uh, cushion for, uh, say, replacing boilers or HVAC systems. Mm -hmm. It's been used for uh, covering uh, the costs of the tax captures in recent years. We didn't okay. use it to cover before because of... The amount was relatively small, right? But uh, in 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 the last last four or five years, it's just exploded. And, and so, and what is the size of the rainy day fund? If if you could tell, well, me it used to is. be it used to be a little over twenty million, but now um, it's uh, significantly less. I don't have the exact number now, but uh, again, as I said, we had to take almost five million of it last year. Mm -hmm. Due to um, drop property revenue, uh, property tax collections, mm -hmm. and uh, escalated tax captures, and additional costs imposed by COVID. Okay, and uh, how many branches does the library system currently operate? It's currently oh, it has six branches that are open, but uh, before the before COVID, we had twenty one branches operating across the city. And is there any plan to reopen the other 15 branches uh, of the, in this other system? Well, uh, I wouldn't call it a plan. I think there's a desire, but the but the money the money capture is definitely going to reduce the amount number of branches that we'll be able to reopen. There's no immediate plan to do it because there's such an uncertainty about what kind of property tax collections we'll get and what the and the tax captures we know now that it's even going to be higher uh at 3.4 million than it's ever been in history and they said they're going to take that amount for five years and it's subject to further increases if they so choose so what is the what should the amount of money uh, that the city should actually capture from the library commission. What should that amount be versus what 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 they're taking? What's the delta think, between? I the think two? our amount should be the same as the DIA and the zoo, which is zero. Okay. The money is really dedicated to library services. Uh, the city does not replicate that in any other function. That our library services are are modest already. 
And so uh, I think that I think the tax capture laws, uh, and it's a series of laws, are uh, were ill considered. And it was a way that the state was helping local governments uh, raise development money without the state having to pay anything. Right. And they were willing to take the money from schools, park systems, and libraries instead of, uh, uh, say, using uh, Michigan Economic Development Corporation to help fund these projects. So I I think uh, we've got to look at this overall impact. There's a big impact on Detroit Public School Community District. The latest data we have, they're not really forthcoming with telling people how much they've captured and where they've captured it from and what they're doing with it. You won't find that on their website. Right. Uh, right. But uh, Detroit Public Schools, the last year I have is 2017. They took $12 million from the two budget to the two millages related to our schools. So, so and the school district so, is being impacted because of tax captures. They're taking money that could be used to fund operating programs on behalf of the school district and help educate our children. And they're also capturing dollars, which they're taking from our library system, uh, which could also be used to fund a full and robust operation of our library system. And they're taking money from WC3D. Uh, the Wayne County Community College District. Okay. And they're taking money from Wayne Risa, our intermediate school district, countywide school district. Uh, they have three millages, and all three are being captured, including the enhancement millage that shares money with the Detroit Public Schools. It makes allocations to Detroit Public Schools. So they've reduced the allocations to Detroit Public Schools by taxing Wayne Risa as well. Have you had? Uh, have you all started any conversations with our state legislatures to kind of correct some of the inequities uh, in the tax mm-hmm. capture law? Because as you mentioned earlier, that there was a special exemption that was carved out for the DIA and the Detroit Zoo so that they would not be impacted by tax captures. And so my question yes. is, have you had any conversations with our state legislatures? Well, we're, we're starting the campaign early. I, I personally have had conversations with my state representative who's, uh, who, who has a very open mind on this. Mm-hmm. But um, we need to get uh, su- some support across the city and get more state legislators talking about this to, uh, to address it now. We still we understand what the politics are in Lansing, who controls the legislature. But you know, we've we've got to start there and 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 move forward. So it would seem to me to be, and obviously I understand why the school board and its members would not also be on top of this issue, given the fact that it's impacting their budget as well. Have you had any conversations with our, our mm-hmm. school board uh, members or president? Yes, the, the the president of the school board is a, by state law is a member of the library commission. And the current president of the school board um, is um, That's, uh, Angelique Peterson totally on board with Angelique it. Peterson yes. Mayberry. Yes, Angelique Peterson Mayberry, and she's totally on board. When we had the, our special commission meeting uh, a week ago on this subject, she was very forthright about it. And uh, I, Dr. Vitti, has been talking about this in community meetings for a long time. Right, right. But there's been no real movement to try to push through any That's type right. of substantive change. 
That's it's, right. And I think I think with the library, w- 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 there was attempts at dialogue. The, my, the immediate past president, Cassandra Smith-Cray, uh, initiated uh, efforts with the Duggan administration to have, to have sit-down dialogue or face-to-face over the phone dialogue. And, and how, how did those conversations? How did those conversations? They never occurred. Oh, they, no. they said they would do it, and they never followed through. And why do you and think that is? Because they they don't have any intention of uh, recognizing the needs of the library. And she said in the public meeting on Tuesday that one of the officials that she talked to said that they don't care whether there is a library open. They don't care whether that we actually have a functioning library system in the city of Detroit. Right. That was what one person said. I don't know the name of that person. Right. Uh, there were several, apparently several people on that call, and it wasn't clear to her which one said it, but one of them did. And these were uh, officials of the administration. Of course, not the mayor. He didn't say that, but officials of his administration. So if you could explain to the public kind of what services the library uh, actually offers, I think that might be enlightening for some people who may have never used a library, who maybe have never gone to a library. I know when we were growing up, you know, the library was like a a second home. You know, we stopped by after Mm -hmm. school. We did our homework. You know, you could play games that had interesting books and and different Mm -hmm. kinds of things. But but exactly what services does a library offer? Well, they offer continue to offer the services that you just described. Uh, uh, in my neighborhood, the library branch is a, a place where kids go after school until their parents come to pick them up later. And so there's a whole section of the branch that is dedicated toward children and uh, in play and educational play and so forth. Uh, the library I encourage everyone to go on the website of the Detroit Public Library and see all the different kinds of things going on. But we have online tutoring services, and it's interactive. It's not like you send something to a robot and get an answer back a day later. Um, It's called tutor.com, and if you have a library card, you can use tutor.com to help with your homework, your studies. Um, Is there a cost cost to get a library card? There is there is not a cost to get a library card. Okay. All right. Um, that, that, that's my recollection. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I have to qualify everything I say. This is my recollection. Uh, How but, was the decision but, made to decide which libraries will be open? Is there a rotating schedule where you, you have six open at all times or the six static facilities that are open? How, how was that decision it, it, made? It'll, it'll be... The same six facilities. Uh, and what, and what are open. those six facilities? If if you could just give them right off the, the top, top of my head, the, the the Campbell branch in Southwest Detroit. All right. The Jefferson branch on the Lower East Side. Uh, the Wilder branch in Northeast. Uh, Joy. Uh, I'm sorry, on Joy Road, the Edison branch, mm-hmm. and Joy Road in Southfield on the West Side. Um, let's see, and which one else? Oh, in Parkman. On Oakman Boulevard. So you you made you you made the opportunity to try to really spread out um, the actual operation of these buildings so that they're at least within uh, a particular uh, district. I would say it's close by. Yeah. They have bus transportation. It's available. Yeah. Now, what yes. about digital it, services? What type of digital services uh, are there? Computers that people can use at the library? Are there employment yes. services offers? Can I explain that aspect of library operations? 
Yes, and I left the Redford branch out Redford on the branch. far west side as well. All right. Uh, all these, uh, virtually all these branches have been rehabilitated, and that's the advantage of why they would have been preferred for uh, maintaining operations mm -hmm. because they have expanded computer capacity. Uh, the, the, uh, some of the neighborhood branches like Wilder and so forth, they've got 16 terminals. Uh, some apartment has 100 terminals. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, because it was intended to be used for education programs okay. as well as uh, general public use. I see. And uh, people uh, can get on. They can use it for an hour. If there's no line, their hour can be extended. Uh, but if there's a line, line up, you get at least an hour on the computer to do your research. Okay. Uh, and, uh, but the branches are open full. We're going to try to expand those hours this summer. But... Uh, you know, we're still very concerned about the branches that are uh, idled at this time. Right, right. What, um, if you had the, uh, it sounds like it's about $1.8, $1.9 million extra that the city is taking above what they should be. What would the library uh, do with that money if they had it? Well, I, I actually think, think that, uh, th there is no uh, standard for what they should be taken. M for most years, it was half a million dollars. Mm -hmm. And so we're at seven times that much now. Right. And uh, it's just tripled just in the last four or five years. The tax capture has tripled. What we would be doing is uh, uh, having uh broader services we'd have more branches open mm -hmm. i'm certain of that mm -hmm. and uh, we, again we're mindful that the cost of operating a branch uh, uh, in covid is more much more expensive more, because right. we're doing disinfection of every surface right. every two hours that a library branch is open or a library is open okay so the keyboards the desk surfaces and so forth are getting uh, a disinfecting cleaning every two hours and so there are additional our, costs that the library has in order to to make sure that it's a safe environment for people to to come and 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 partake of services. That's right. And our library director Joanne Mondowney, who I think is an outstanding she, leader yes, of our is. library system. You have, we have an outstanding director. Let me let me co-sign on that. Joanne Mondowney yeah. is an outstanding uh, director yeah. for the Detroit That's right. uh, Library. She's just wonderful. That's right. Wonderful lady. And she, she uh, set up collaboration with the National Sanitation Foundation out of Ann Arbor, which, is, as you know, plays a national role. It's right. widely recognized as an uh, institution to provide uh, a safe and sanitary environment. And they went through our libraries and they assessed the libraries and made recommendations. And we're following all the recommendations of the National Sanitation Foundation. And we have not seen any evidence that I'm aware of, unless it's very recent that I haven't seen, that anybody has caught COVID as a result of being in a library. So our libraries are safe uh, facilities. That's correct. Great. Well, you know, I've got to take uh, I got to take another station break right now. You know, we got we got to pay some bills around here with some with some commercials. And so that when we sense. come back, we're just going to kind of dig into prospectively what people really need to be doing 
on this issue? How do we become uh, much more vocal? Uh, is there a possibility of putting some type of advisory uh, matter on the on the on the ballot uh, in November to to make people aware of what's going on? And so, mm -hmm. uh, this is Anthony Adams. Uh, we Detroit. We deserve a better show, and we'll be right back after a station break. Today we have as a guest Russ Ballant, who is the chairperson of the Detroit Library Commission, who's talking about tax captures. Because when we heard the big announcement by Dan Gilbert of him making a $500 million investment uh, in neighborhoods in Detroit, we got to understand kind of where the money's coming from, how it's impacting our community, how it's impacting institutions that are designed to educate and uplift our community. We are killing ourselves quietly by allowing massive tax captures and brownfield redevelopment projects, which are taking money out of our general fund, taking money out of our ability to finance things that we need. And so we've got to dig deep on the issue of tax captures uh, and, and abatements that are giving to developers to do things in the city of Detroit, because at the end of the day, we're taking money from ourselves. And so when, when we last left, Russ, we were, we were kind of talking about what the library would do if, in fact, they could get that, five, they get that tax capture uh, down to where it should be, which is around five hundred and six hundred thousand dollars that would free up, I'm thinking, somewhere close to what, two, two $2.3, $2.4 million in additional revenue that the library could operate with. Is that correct? Well, it would be just, just, just under $3 million. Okay. Be because we're at 3.4 now. All right. So we're talking about $3 million in operating money that could be used to fully open all the branches within the city of Detroit. Is that correct? That's right. And so what That's we're what doing we in essence is we're, we're, we're taking taxes away from our library system, which puts us on a limited schedule. And you laid out the six areas uh, where we had actually functioning libraries. We have 15 library facilities that are actually closed in the city of Detroit. They could be providing essential services, uh, access to the digital, uh, access to the internet, because we have a huge digital divide still existing in the city of Detroit. There's some things that you can work on your phone, uh, but you don't get the full functionality unless you're sitting uh, at a computer station. And so, by having 15 of of 21 facilities closed. We're depriving huge segments of our population of the ability to go to the library, to take advantage of tutoring services for our children, to take advantage of educational services for our adults. We're killing ourselves quietly, and we're not saying anything. And so that's why I congratulate you, Russ, on your leadership as well as the other library commissioners. And could you tell us who the other commissioners on the library are so that people know uh, who they need to get in touch with to talk about this issue? Sure. The other commissioners are, uh, as we mentioned, uh, Angelique uh, Peterson Mayberry, the president of the school board. Um, uh, Franklin Jackson is the vice president of the commission currently. Uh, secretary is Cassandra Smith Bray, mm -hmm. who, you know, was a top aide to Coleman A. Young Sr. Right. And, and, Mike, and Mike Doug in the DMC. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. And she... Uh, I, okay, I, I'm not so, so sure about that. Uh, but at any rate, uh, the, uh, uh, Edith Hayden Friley, an educator. Okay. And 
uh, John Veer Adams. Okay, no, no relation former, to me, I would add. Oh, okay. Um, for, she was former general counsel for Detroit Public Schools, and yes. she works uh, in the Wayne County Treasurer now, uh, in the office there. And then, let's see, I think, I think I've listed I them think all. I think that's it, yeah, I think that's yeah. it. So, yep. so we have we have five we have five commissioners or five or six commissioners. We have uh, one vacant position and we have six filled positions. So and who seven. appoints who appoints the vacant commission? Is there a process for one someone who may be interested yeah. in joining the, the commission? De the, the Detroit Public Schools Community District Board of Education makes those appointments by state law. All right, all right. And is there a process, is there an application that someone who may be listening may want to fill yes. out an application to be appointed to the Library Commission? Uh, they should look on the board website for information about positions being posted. I don't know if the vacant position is being, has been posted yet. Okay. So, it's, it's a very recent. So to recap, so the recap. The city of Detroit, which is the fiduciary to collect tax money for all entities within the city, uh, should only be taking about $500,000 of tax capture, but instead they're taking close to three, $3.4 million in tax captures. And so they're capturing almost $3 million more than what they should be, which could be used to fund library operations. The library has started the process now of educating the community, providing information to people to understand exactly what that means, how it's impacting our ability to operate our libraries, how it also impacts our ability to fund our Detroit uh, Community School District, how it also impacts uh, our parks, and also how it also impacts the Wayne County Community College District. So we've got education and recreational institutions that are being impacted by tax captures, and no one is saying anything about it because we're quietly uh, allowing ourselves to be used for other purposes that are not going to benefit our community. And so, Russ, I want to I want to kind of thank you for for joining in and providing uh, some information. Are there any last words that you'd like to uh, speak with our our, our our listening audience, our viewing audience? Yes, I I, I, I want the public uh, to know that our we're trying to fight for not just to restore the funding to the proper level, but to demand integrity. Uh, on voter rights. When the voters vote to do something, that should be the operational law and the, what the elected officials have to comply with. Mm -hmm. The voters said they wanted that money for operations of the library. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what it should be used for. Mm -hmm. They wanted it for operations and debt payments for our school district. Mm -hmm. That's what it should be used for. Mm -hmm. Not for downtown development projects, where they can offer tax giveaways downtown at our expense. Well, great. Well, Russ, uh, thank you for coming on to my show and explaining uh, the issue of tax captures, how it impacts our library commissions. This will be a topic, a recurring topic with me as we talk about why we can't move the city of Detroit forward, how games are being played, financial games are being played, very sophisticated uh, high-level stuff, but it impacts our ability to keep our libraries open, to provide safe places for our children to go after school. It's a needed resource and facility that's in our community where we have trained and we have one of the best uh, library staffs uh, in the country. 
people who yes. are truly dedicated to learning and uplifting literacy in the city of Detroit. And we've got to make severe changes in how we tax ourselves, why we allow tax abatements to take money out of the system, and how we do much better in informing the public about things that are impacting them. So, Russ, I want to I want to thank you uh, for taking time, and um, will you will be back with me uh, in the future as this issue moves forward. So, thank you, Russ. I appreciate you joining my show. Appreciate the invitation. Thank you. Great. So, so now we, we are at what I call the moment of truth. The moment of truth is this. There are going to be a series of announcements that are going to come out over the course of the, uh, this year, which talks about the great things that people want to do for the city of Detroit. And when you tell me you want to do something great for the city of Detroit, I ask, what have you done uh, for the city of Detroit? Don't tell me about what you're going to give me. Tell me about what you've given me. And in this case of Dan Gilbert, you know, the book is an open book. In 2017, he gets a $2.1 billion tax giveaway. $2.1 billion tax giveaway to build his Tower of Babel, as I call it, the, one of the largest buildings to be built in downtown Detroit. And don't get me wrong, I'm not uh, anti-development. But when we're talking about taking money from our schools, we're talking about impacting our ability to collect uh, income taxes because in the special uh, legislation that Dan Gilbert got, there was a special provision in there which allowed them to take uh, income taxes in addition to property taxes out of the system to finance their actual development. The trade-off is supposed to be that you're creating more economic development than what you're giving up. But in the case of the city of Detroit, where we have very thin margins on income tax, where we have bad uh, policies on our, our tax assessments and, and tax captures, uh, where we are struggling to create new revenue sources for ourselves, uh, whether it be casino revenue, gaming, and they've seen some increase, obviously, in casino gaming uh, revenue because of online uh, betting. We've got a utility users tax, which is used to finance uh, for our police department, as well as used to finance the public lighting system. Compliments, I might add, of Dave Bing. You know, it's always funny to me when they talk about one of the great accomplishments of the administration. They always talk about street lights, but they never... Oh, they failed to mention the fact that the streetlights were part of Dave Bing's program and how he helped restructure to create the Public Lighting Authority, which led to lights being placed throughout the city. And so we are at our moment of truth. Is it more important for us to continue to finance, finance building development in downtown Detroit, or is it more important for us to finance our children being in a position to learn? Our young adults being in a position to get educational services. Our senior citizens being able to come to a safe place in our library so that we can have intergenerational communication between our young and our old people. What is more important? From a value proposition, I would say that it's more important to us now that we continue to fund education. We still have one of the highest literacy, illiteracy rates of any major city in America. You cannot begin to retrain and retool people who cannot read. 
we have to put much more emphasis on protecting our institutions that provide these essential services. If we can't have a robust library system, and as Mr. Ballant said, we have 15 branches of our library that are closed, only six open. And the city's taking more than $3 million in tax captures that could be used to fund our libraries. I say no more for that. Time out for that. We need to be putting money where people need services. Our libraries provide essential services. They have uh, skilled librarians who are there to assist you uh, and help you. They provide resources and information to our community to allow people to be much broader in what they do. Uh, they provide digital services that allow a community which has a huge digital divide still with access to the internet so that they can have full functionality and research programs and job applications and things of that nature. Why are we not screaming to the holy hell to make sure that these types of programs are now put in place to ensure that things are done the right way? And when we also talk about people making investments in the city of Detroit, I'm all for anybody who wants to invest in the city of Detroit. But it's got to be a fair investment that's going to benefit the people. And when you structure this announcement as a $500 million gift to the city that we're paying the property taxes of Detroiters, understand exactly what's being paid. If we've got 18,000 people, the 20,000 people in a tax payment plan, $15 million doesn't go anywhere near impacting the community. We've had the greatest loss of wealth through tax foreclosures of any major city in America. We've lost billions of dollars of wealth that could be transferred from one generation to the next because we've had bad tax policy in our city, and we've got to change that. If you're telling me you're going to invest $500 million in the city of Detroit, let me give you some examples of what I would say you should do with that money. First off, there should be a mortgage interest program that's developed that allows people in the city of Detroit to get mortgages as a matter of recourse. We have a mortgage situation in the city of Detroit now where people can't get mortgages because property values are severely low. And if your property doesn't appraise out, then the mortgage company says they can't give you a loan because you're effectively uh, underwater in, in, your, in your mortgage, meaning the value of your property is less than what I could lend for you. And so if you're telling me you want to help the people in the city of Detroit, Design a mortgage program that's designed to give people the money that they need in order to uplift and improve the quality of their house. We all ride through the city of Detroit, and we see people with the blue tarps on their roofs. We see porches that are almost under construction. We see siding missing off of houses. And so why are we not providing the resources, if you really want to help the people in the community, to get the things that they need to get? Great low-interest mortgages that allow them to fix up and improve their houses. You're talking about in most situations, you might have a $5,000 roof or $7,000 concrete job, uh, you know, $2,500 worth of siding on your house. If you really want to help the people in the community, why are we not providing the resources for that? If you also want to help the people in the community, why are we not enhancing our senior grant program to allow seniors to age in home? One of the major issues uh, in the city of Detroit is that our seniors want to stay home, and yet their houses are falling apart. And because they've taken money out of the um, senior home rehab program, 
Our seniors now are being forced out of their houses at the very time when should be we should be honoring them in their homes and, and in their in their life. And so if you really want to help the community, then why are we not doing something like that? If you also want to help the community, I would think that you would also structure a program that would provide financing to rehab the multitude, the thousands of homes in the city of Detroit that are held by the land bank. If you really want to help the people in the city of Detroit, then why are we not taking people who are renters and we have more people renting in the city of Detroit versus owning their homes? Why are we not taking these dollars, putting people in programs to take them from a lease to a mortgage to provide them with the tools and resources they need so that they can begin to build generational wealth through home ownership? The only way most people in America generate wealth for themselves is through ownership of their homes. And if we aren't talking about home ownership with these dollars to create more home ownership opportunities for people, then we're wasting our time. We're wasting our time because we're not getting to the core issue, which is structural racism in mortgage lending, structural racism in educational opportunities. And we're doing it to ourselves. We're allowing our administration to take $3 million from our libraries, which could be used to finance a lot more things that invest in people. And so you're going to hear me harping on this because this is a critical issue that we need to address. Will we continue to invest in buildings in downtown Detroit? Or will we continue to invest in our young people, in our, in our young adults? and our senior citizens that they can have a better opportunity to live and to grow in the city of Detroit. And so I am again, Anthony Adams. This is the We Detroit, We Deserve Better show. And we will certainly discuss this issue uh, over the coming weeks so we can better educate people to understand how our money is being taken from us systematically, right in plain sight, and we're doing nothing about it. We've got to change that. So I'm Anthony Adams, We Detroit, We Deserve Better show, and I'll see you next week.